0: Yo, this is Steve Bloom, the voice of Zeb in Star Wars Rebels, and
1: you are listening to Star Wars Bookworms. Even men like Talon Card
2: occasionally make mistakes. This is the Chimera. Launch the attack. Time to go to work. You won't let me get killed, will you?
1: Is that what I was supposed to be doing here? I should have brought my lightsaber.
3: So, Teresa, what have you been reading lately?
4: harry potter really well i just finished my reread of harry potter yes
3: like all of them and I'm,
4: I'm all of them all seven of them a yearly reread is over again and i'm depressed because harry potter's over again
3: that's funny Every i was year. actually just talking today with somebody who was asking me about harry potter bookworms oh yeah yeah
4: and what did you say
3: i said uh you know you never know what could happen someday but I'm actually reading Harry Potter books right now, too, so I'm on uh, your favorite one, Prisoner of Azkaban.
4: It is my favorite. How are you liking it? I'm
3: liking it a lot. And I've I've learned now that trying to type Prisoner of Azkaban without using a Z in Prisoner is really hard.
4: Why would you use a Z in because Prisoner? Because I'm
3: thinking Azkaban, and so I'm as I'm typing Prisoner, I'm already at the Z. Oh, weird. I know, it's weird. It's like every single <laughs> time I type it out, I always have to correct it.
4: That's kind of funny.
3: But you're reading also, a Star Wars book right now, right?
4: Yeah, I am, because I finished Harry Potter, and so I had to move on. And I have Audible credits, and so I got Bloodline a while back. And I downloaded it, and I've started it. I'm about 30 or 40 minutes in, so I don't know exactly where I am chapter-wise. But... So far, I'm really liking it. And I really like the girl that is the voice for the audiobook. I think it's pretty cool. And I love her 3PO. It's pretty funny.
3: <laughs> she does a really good Leia.
4: Yeah, she like, does a very really good Leia. Good. I think Han is not her, though. No. Because it sounds like a guy. So I think it's a guy. But so far, I've really liked it. I'm at the part where she's decided she's going to quit the Senate. And he doesn't Spoilers. believe her. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's right at the beginning
3: the book's been out long enough right isn't our isn't our spoiler policy a month
4: yeah it's been out long enough but i'm at that part and han doesn't believe her so that's where i am as far as reading but i'm really enjoying it and i'm probably going to listen to it while i do housework and stuff like that or while i'm doing other things so that way i can make more progress i do have the book the actual book but you know, if I sit down to read, then I can't do other things. But I can listen and read and do other things at the same time.
3: This is true. So the, I'm not remembering the name of the woman that does the uh, audiobook, but she January, does.
4: January, January something. Uh, I can find it really quick. But she, she does do
3: all the voices. So she does do Han's voice. Oh, does she really? When you were saying well, you didn't she think a... she did Han's voice, I thought you meant she didn't do it well.
4: No, I just thought it was a guy.
3: Oh, okay. She does. So I mean she did it. She does a really good I think uh, when she does that Castropho guy.
4: I haven't gotten there yet. I don't know who that is.
3: Oh, uh, okay. She she does good with that. But I don't know. I felt Han was a little tough. She it didn't look like it didn't seem like she was uh getting the voice very well for me, at least for my listening.
4: Oh, well, I don't expect him to sound like Han. Oh, so no, I
3: don't either. I don't either. <laughs> I thought he
4: sounded good. So, January Lavoie. January Lavoy. is the voice.
3: I I did the audio book as well for this one and the the regular novel. I kind of jumped back and forth actually as I was going through it, but so I'm I'll I'll be looking forward to talking about the book in its entirety with you on a future episode of Star Wars Bookworms.
4: Yeah, and while I'm here I wanna say thank you to Bria she stepped up and did our last episode, episode sixty. I feel like I missed a sort of strange milestone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Even though I don't know if sixty is really a milestone, but I want to thank Bria because I my schedule was just so slammed tight and tight. I didn't have free time to do anything. So thank you, Bria.
3: Yeah, and she's a big fan of the book Twilight Company. So that was a good one for her to be on.
4: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
3: But So our book club is still going on right now. And we are still doing Life Debt for August and September. Um, some good conversation going on over there. So if you haven't joined us yet and you've read Life Debt, uh, head on over to Goodreads and uh, join in the conversation. And speaking of clubs...
4: Yeah, speaking of clubs, so for those of you who don't know, I actually am a teacher, but I have a club that i sponsor it's the first of its type in my area and it's called geek force and it's essentially a pop culture geek club and we do all kinds of stuff but one of the things that i've been trying to get off the ground for about a year has been a blog that the kids are actually writing and we have our first published piece by a student it came out today which is september 14th so you can go over to akins a-k-i-n-s geek force dot wordpress.com and you can see the very first article over there it's written by Isabel. she's a junior so she's 16 and she wanted to do a piece on the force awakens and how it really impacted her star wars fandom and the title of the article is how the force awakens has captured our souls and it's really good it's really good for her age and for you know trying to put something together for me really quick and you know I helped her as far as editing and stuff but also formatting a blog post and things that the kids don't necessarily know how to do. So I walked through that entire process with her and we kind of got her a little bit of a headshot picture going on too so that she can use it. And I think it's good. And they really, the kids really do need your feedback. So if you go and you read the articles over at the website, akinsgeekforce.wordpress.com, leave a comment for them because the kids will really enjoy that. We actually have a girl that's writing a fanfic about, um, a character whose name is going to be Geek Force but we're calling him we're calling the character GF. The character is actually gender neutral and one of the very first fandoms that the character's in high school, freshman in high school and has these run-ins with these different fandoms and one of the first ones is going to be Doctor Who and Supernatural. So, I'm pretty excited and the first piece of that will be coming out tomorrow, September 15th.
3: Very cool. Yeah, it's really cool to see Students getting involved in this type of stuff and blogging and writing, and you know, all, all the things that it takes to put together a website, and just to icing on the cake that it's about geeky stuff. So that's really cool.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a the club has really grown. Like last year, I think we had a consistent six, and this year, so far, and we've just gotten started, we had our third meeting, we're at about a consistent 20 to 25. So that's a big. I don't know what percentage of growth that is, but I think it's high. (laughs) It's very good.
3: Yes, Teresa Delgado teaching the youth. I hope I'm doing well by these guys. A good geek.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, it's kind of interesting. Today we watched um, we watched Supergirl, and what was very interesting to me is how these kids have grown up in geek culture. And they haven't experienced some of the things that you and I have. It's been they've been pretty accepted for the most part in most aspects of their life. And they're so knowledgeable in this kind of thing that when we were talking about Supergirl and breaking it down, they were so angry about how cliche Supergirl was when it first started and the over feminist stuff and they they went off on tangents like crazy stuff that I would see from Twitter bloggers and all that kind of stuff you know and I was just like oh I'm so proud of all of you right now (laughs) um but I had to educate them a little bit on you know why Supergirl was like that for those of you who've seen it the pilot it's it's really kind of over the top and we had to talk about being on you know cbs versus on something like the cw and the kind of things that networks have to do it's it's interesting conversation with these kids so if you've never had a chance to talk to a high school kid about geeky stuff you should because they're very smart
3: where were teachers like you when i was in school (laughs) i don't know
4: (laughs) still in school yeah right well, and you've gotten to do something really cool, too. You went to Dragon Con. Uh, you went to one of my favorite conventions. I was unable to go. I had some stuff going on at school that I was that was mandatory I had to be there for, but you got to go. And how was it this year? Better than, you know, I think you skipped last year, so better than two years ago? or?
3: Yeah, so this was my third time going to Dragon Con, and it is a very fun con to go to. Um, I was sad that you were not able to join me. But um, there were a lot of our friends that were there. So we, I got to hang out with a lot of really cool people and um, even ended up getting to participate in a panel, which I didn't think I was going to. Um, but I ended up being able to do that. So it was it was a really good con this year.
4: So you went to a bunch of different panels, I know. And I think you went to the Rebels panel that had Henry Gilroy and Timothy Zahn. What was that one like?
3: So this panel was, um, it was mostly fans. A lot of people we know. I know Bria was on it. Um, and uh, Bethany Blanton from Star Wars Report was on the panel as well with a a few other people and um, but Henry Gilroy was there so it was a it was a kind of a cool dynamic you had fans up there but then you also had one of the creators up there Um, and so he they were speculating and then he was kind of you know giving the official information and there was some fun back and forth there and then Timothy Zahn showed up um, as a surprise nobody knew that he was coming and then he showed up at the very end and for about 10 to 15 minutes joined the panel and talked specifically about you know his involvement with the Thrawn novel and with Thrawn coming to to uh, Star Wars Rebels and all that stuff so that was a really a really cool panel
4: that's really cool I mean I really want to hear um, Zahn talk about all that stuff that's one of the things I love about Dragon Con is that he's almost always there and it's fun to interact and talk with them. I just remember when you and I got to host the panel that he was on, I was surprised at how approachable he was. It was so cool just to get to talk to him. I kind of feel like I know him a little bit. I don't, but I feel like I do. <laughs> you yeah, know?
3: It, yeah, definitely. He's really cool like that. And um, actually after the panel ended, um, him and Henry Gilroy needed to, to book it to another another panel that was like right after that. And so they had a bunch of us that were either participants on the panel or just friends kind of act as his entourage so he didn't get, like, swamped when he walked through. Um, So that was kind of cool, too, to kind of have a small part in getting him to another panel. And a lot of – and Henry Gilroy actually had um, items from from Star Wars Rebels. I think there was, like, a a crew hat that he gave to somebody and some really cool pins that he was giving out. So it was – they were really – You know participating and making the fans feel involved it was really cool
4: awesome so you the panel you mentioned you got to be on a panel and that panel was about new canon so tell me a little bit about how you got on this panel and what it was about and how it all went down and how you lost all the audio
3: (laughs) right yeah so this was um this dragon con i hadn't uh volunteered to be on any panels um at the last minute I sent the the uh, director of the Star Wars track Brandy I sent her a message just saying hey if you need somebody kind of as a backup I, w- I will be at the con so if any spots open up. So a couple days before the con she sent me a, a message and said hey there there's a spot open up on this new Canon panel probably a perfect fit for you considering your interests. So would you like to do it? So I did it and um I got to be on the panel with a lot of great podcasters that uh, we're all very familiar with. Um Brian and Nancy from Tashi Station were on the panel with me. Bruce Gibson, uh, that we know from Star Wars Report. Um, I'm going to forget people. I'm sure Matt Rushing was on there as well from uh, the Aggressive Negotiations podcast, and uh, Sarah Dempster from uh, she does uh, she writes uh, for 11:38. So, so it was a really good panel. Fans that are all into the books and comics, just like we are, and so uh, we just we got. Asked a lot of questions about the new canon, what was good, what was bad, you know, what, who were some of our favorite characters, that kind of stuff. And it was a really fun discussion. Sadly, we did, we had planned to record the audio, but they were having issues with their um, their soundboard, and we lost the audio. So there is no surviving audio of this panel. Unfortunately, we won't be able to share it with our listeners. But it was for anyone that was actually there, it was a, a really cool panel. Ooh. I know the one panel I got to be on was the one we lost the audio for so sad
4: I think you planned that on purpose
3: yeah there's really no proof that I was even there
4: I know no we See, did get some should, photos I, should I even believe you
3: we did get some photos so uh, we did
4: we got there's a a good photo out there I think you posted it on Twitter or Instagram or something where Matt rushing is looking at you in a very loving way
3: <laughs> yeah <laughs> rushing is crushing
4: he's like I love I love when Aaron talks <laughs> 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 Has he responded to that picture?
3: Oh, yeah, definitely. there yeah. he's it, he was one of the people I didn't know before going to Dragon Con. like I just knew him through Twitter, but I got to spend a lot of time with him at Dragon Con. Uh, another person, William Devereaux is another person that I had seen him at other cons and not really spent a lot of time with him. Um, he's from the Ion Cannon podcast, but love um, those guys. Yeah, so I actually got to spend a lot of time with William as well. so it was that's one of the cool things about these cons, you know, and just getting to meet new people or get to know people better. So, um, yeah, it was a a lot of fun.
4: Great. And so, this episode, we aren't actually reviewing anything. What we have for you is some audio from Dragon Con from the Star Wars Authors Panel that had Kevin Anderson, Michael Stackpole, Tim Hizan, Janine Spinlove, and Delilah Dawson, kind of similar to the Authors Panel that we moderated. Yeah, so
3: uh, at least three of the people that were there, um, or that were on that one, are also on this one. Um, it was a really fun panel so it was good to see some of these new authors that are contributing to the new canon people like Janine and Delilah have done the short stories and so it was cool to see them kind of with Kevin and Michael and Tim Um, and then with Timothy Zahn being the one that's kind of in the middle where he's done you know Legends and now he is also going to be writing a new canon novel he actually even educated on us or educated us on what Star Wars prefers that we call these things now so they, oh really? Yeah, he said, "It's legends and it's canon. It's you don't use EU, you don't use new canon. It's legends and canon is the way that Lucasfilm would prefer that we refer to it." So, I'm pretty sure nice. we're gonna keep breaking that rule some, but
4: yeah, I'm pretty sure we will. It's
3: it's a lot easier to, for me to refer to it as new canon, but but yeah. So, but yeah, we have um, we have all of the audio from it. Uh, we will be p- playing kind of. I guess you could kind of say it's a little bit bonus content for this episode because we do have other things to talk about. But um, at the end of this episode, we will play most of the audio from that panel uh, of Star Wars authors. And I have to give a shout out to Brian and Nancy from Tashi Station for uh, capturing that audio. Um, I did- They do a great
4: job. Didn't they capture the audio the other two years ago too?
3: Yeah, they they kind of have a system where they, they know how to hook it up to the soundboard. They get really good audio that's coming straight from the mics. I actually did record some audio myself, like from sitting in the crowd, but theirs is way better. So I'm going to use theirs. So I told awesome. them, I told them that they said it'd be cool if I used it. I, I'm pretty sure they've already posted it probably on their, on their podcast. Um, but I did ask them if I could use their audio feed and I said I'd give them credit. So thanks guys.
4: Yeah. Thank you so much. Like I love it when podcasts can work together. That's the best. Yes. All right, well, we do have some news. There's been a new book announced. It's The Force Awakens Finn's story. It's very similar to Ray's story that was released several months ago. This one was actually released yesterday on September 13th. It's written by Jesse J. Holland. The art is by Brian Rood, and it's a soft cover book. It's um, from Disney Lucasfilm Press. It's about $5.99, and if it's anything like Ray's story, I'm probably going to really like it because i really liked ray's story and we haven't talked about it yet spoiler of my review when we do that
3: yeah i think we're planning on reviewing it next episode right yep (laughs) but um i actually haven't read ray's story yet that was one of the ones that in my rush to keep up with everything that was coming out that one got kind of set to the side so i will be reading that though before we review it in our next episode um and then now we have finn's story So, and I I guess they're doing, are they going to do a Pose story too? Or has that already been released? I (laughs) I don't know. I feel like I heard something about a Pose story, but.
4: I don't think it's out yet. I think we would know if it was out.
3: But there is a a little short synopsis here. Should I read it? Sure. Okay. The Force Awakens from the point of view of one of the film's biggest breakout characters. Finn is a former First Order stormtrooper with a unique story. Follow along as he gets swept up into an adventure he never thought possible. That's way shorter than the Del Rey ones. <laughs> yeah. That's
4: like two sentences.
3: <laughs> it will be interesting to kind of read it from his perspective because, you know, reading it from Ray's perspective is one thing, but Finn, Finn is a whole different kind of personality. So mm-hmm. I think that'll be a fun one to read. And it's really short. It's only, you know, like you said, it's only 128 pages. So you can kind of blow through that in an afternoon. If you're a fast reader. Definitely hoping to to pick that one up.
4: So our next piece of news is that they are releasing new covers for the Thrawn trilogy. So they're actually re-releasing it, which I think is kind of cool. And they come out September 27th. And if you lay all of the books next to each other, they sort of make a montage. We did talk about it on Fangirls Going Rogue. And I think one of the things that we kind of all agreed on, I don't think they're bad covers I don't think they're ugly or anything. I do think that they went a very typical route of showing Thrawn and the, you know, original trilogy characters and they completely left Mara Jade out and stuff. And that's what other people have been saying, too. I... You know, just keep in mind, I've never read these, and I'm not going to right now. I have a whole philosophy on how I'm going about this whole Thrawn thing, and it does not involve me reading these. And I also think it's interesting that they're republishing them, and I'm wondering who's doing that.
3: As far as the publisher? Yeah. Uh, It's definitely Del Rey.
4: Oh, okay. Okay, Um, I wasn't sure since it was, you know, Legends material and who was in charge of doing that or what or how that worked or whatever.
3: Right. Um, Yeah. So that you're going to get the big, you know, gold legends banner across the top um, and the new covers. But I actually I know a lot of people are saying, oh, I'm glad they replaced the old ones because the old ones were so bad. I never had a problem with the old ones. I think they were some of the first Star Wars books I ever read. And so it kind of just the covers were what they were. And I never really thought they looked that bad. But um, this is definitely, you know, new art, a new style. I like the style of the art. Um I don't know if I love the whole, you know, uh Thrawn face kind of split into across across two of the books. Um so I'm kind of indifferent really. I I think it's it's fine. They look kind of cool and I, I don't necessarily have to have them. I already have these books and I'm not the type to, you know, collect a new set of books just cuz there's new art on them. But um they were giving out a lot of these down at Dragon Con though. Oh, okay. Cool. Like way before the release, which I thought was cool and people were Freaking out about that, you know, is you know super excited to get them in their hands. Um, I know even some of the authors that were on the authors panel when they were giving them out as prizes to the people in the crowd. Some of the authors were like, "Can I get it? You know, can I can I get one of these as a prize?" Because they wanted them just as much as the the people in the crowd. So um, yeah, people are excited about Theron coming back. So I think this is a perfect time for them to re-release these books. Um, And so for anyone that maybe didn't read. Uh, these books way back when, like people, like someone like you, this gives you an opportunity uh, to to read them.
4: Well, I mean, I already have them, and I have the special edition of Heir to the Empire and all that stuff, but there will be no reading going on until we have seen all of Rebels and all of the Thrawn in Rebels, so there will be no reading.
3: No reading, okay. I Mm -hmm. do agree, though, it is kind of weird that Mary Jade isn't on the covers because she is such a central character to the novels, Um, but I get why, you know, they're kind of sticking to the The canon characters here. And this, you know, the lines get a little blurry, I think, when they're trying to differentiate Mm -hmm. between canon and legends. Probably now, when it comes to the character of Thrawn, there may be some confusion uh, going forward. I know, even with Zahn kind of talking on these different panels about Thrawn, and people were asking him about it, and a lot of people in the crowd not really understanding, you know, canon versus legends. um, He said he's actually writing the novel Thrawn in a way that he's actually fitting it into the old Legends stuff. (laughs) So um, even though it will be canon, he's not rewriting any of Thrawn's history that we already know from Legends. He's kind of writing it in an open space that hasn't been touched yet. Mm -hmm. So it it won't overwrite anything that you know from Legends, but it is the only thing that's canon. Right. Yep.
4: Yeah, and so if anybody's interested in why I'm not reading, you can listen to Fangirls Going Rogue. I think it's 35. Um, it's our last episode before the one that we just released. So if you have heard the one where we talk about um, boobs and popcorn. Seriously. What? We do. Yeah. Uh, if you've heard that one, then you need to listen to the one before <laughs> where I talk about my My philosophy on Thrawn.
3: I have Uh, not heard that that, one. That episode is
4: hashtag snacks for later. So if you, I would go check it out. It's pretty funny.
3: Okay. Yeah. It's starting to come together for me what that means, but Okay.
4: Okay. So the next thing is a rumor. It's not really news, so just keep in mind that this is a rumor. This is not factual at all, but it's something I'm really excited about if it is true, and it has to do with the Ahsoka novel. So, Aaron, I'm going to let you break the rumor news.
3: Yeah, so this came out just a couple days ago. Um, like like Teresa was saying, it's a rumor. People are pretty sure that it's true, Uh, I believe a a website, um, I know Star Wars Underworld are the ones that reported, it, but I think another website is actually the one that kind of uncovered it, just from, like, the book listing. Jedi
4: Bibliotech.
3: Right, they had um, Ashley Eckstein's name listed there. Um, So they're kind of surmising from that that she may be the one that's actually going to be doing the audiobook for Ahsoka, uh, which it would be a really perfect choice to have Ashley Eckstein, the voice of Ahsoka that we all know and love, um, have her actually do the audiobook. That would be awesome. So hopefully it's not just you know somebody put it on there or whatever and you know once it's officially you know released they change some information because book listings in the past have been wrong. So it's not 100% confirmed but likely that Ashley Eckstein will be doing that audiobook.
4: Oh my gosh. If she does, we need to have her on the show because I want to talk to her about the audiobook process and getting to do Ahsoka in this way versus another. And I know you don't have this book, but I do. And it's sitting there staring at me. I'm not allowed to read it until I read Bloodline. I have um, That wow. is my deal with myself. <laughs> so You should have it sent it to me now. in the
3: meantime. I could have read it and sent it back to you.
4: Mm, yeah, true. So the novel does come out on October 11th. So I guess we'll see what happens and how it goes down. I lie. I've read the first like two pages and then I cut myself off.
3: I do know that I have an Audible subscription and I have been checking because you can pre order stuff on Audible. And so I have been checking for a listing for Ahsoka and there isn't one currently, which mm-hmm. usually by now, with the book being this close, they would already have kind of a pre order for it. So it is kind of surprising. I don't know if they're maybe holding off for like a big announcement of her. Uh, it would be really cool if maybe something like New York Comic Con. I know New York Comic Con's coming up in a few weeks, and they have a big you know publishing panel, and they have. I know Ashley's going to be at New York Comic Con, so it'll be interesting to see if maybe that's when they do the big reveal.
4: I bet you it is. So yeah,
3: it'll it'll be uh, exciting if the news is true.
4: Mhm. Mhm. For sure. Well. That brings us around to the panel audio from Dragon Con for the Star Wars Authors panel. So, if you haven't heard it already, here it is for you now.
3: Yes, we will play the audio now. And um, there is, just like any panel at Dragon Con, uh, you know, or at any con, really, you have crowd noise. You have some people get up on the mic better than others. So, it's not perfect audio, but it is good enough to post. And we definitely wanted to share it with our listeners because we know. Uh, most of our listeners are interested in what these authors have to say so we will play that for you right now
5: my name is brandy rotzi i am the track director for star wars at dragon con but you are not here to see me we have amazing star wars authors so i will let them introduce themselves
6: oh you want me to go first that's great (laughs) <laughs> Hi, I'm Janine Spenlove and feel like possibly the most unqualified person to be on this panel, so thank you for that. I, <laughs> I, I do, I have a BB-8 watch, and it lights up, so I don't know how many of you can... <laughs> Anyways, um, I wrote uh, the prequel story to Star Wars Battlefront. It's called In Brief, and I think there are some of those Delray samplers running around that have it inside of it. Um, I've written a few other things as well, the War of the Season series and a bunch of other short stories, and I do some other stuff, and there you go.
1: (laughs) I'm Kevin J. Anderson, and I'm Kevin J. Anderson, and I'm probably best known for writing the text for the Star Wars Jabba's Palace pop up book. Oh, wait, that's just the most per word I've ever been paid. I did that, plus the Jedi Academy Trilogy, and Darksaber, and the Tales of books, and Don't clap yet, there's 54 of them. Um, and Young Jedi Knights, and the... Did I say Jedi Academy Trilogy? Yeah. And Tales of the Jedi Comics, and, and... Did I mention the pop-up books?
6: So what you're saying is you write Star Wars.
1: Yeah, yeah. I write legendary Star Wars. <laughs>
7: I'm Timothy Zahn. The way I see these panels, we have the the two crafters of the legend saga here on the outer uh, edges. Outer we rim. outer rim. We have the <laughs> the up and coming new writers, and I am the bad penny that keeps coming back whether you want it or not. <laughs> you're you're coruscant. Okay.
2: Uh
0: I am Michael A. Stackpole. I uh, did the X-wing books. I did I Jedi. Uh, <laughs>
8: Uh, I'm Delilah S. Dawson. I wrote The Perfect Weapon, which is one of the first stories in the new canon. (laughs) All right, you're clapping. You're okay with it. And I also have a short story in Star Wars Insider number 165 called Scorched, which is about Greer and from Bloodlines.
7: By the way, the the terminology they want us to use, we might as well get used to it, is legends and canon. No expanded universe, no new canon. So, So
8: legendary canon.
7: Yeah, there we go. Legends and canon. So I'm just saying this because I get ragged by it every time I, I get it wrong.
6: Thank you. I did not know those things. I have been educated now.
7: The bad penny has
1: educated us. Yes.
5: <laughs> I don't think we believe anything anybody says of here, are they? Um, well, What, what Tim just said is not truth. canon.
1: Yes. It's just been... Oh.
2: Yeah.
5: So how many of you all were Star Wars fans before you got your writing gig to write Star Wars?
2: Yeah.
5: <laughs> yes.
1: <and>. yes. <laughs> Actually, and all three of us saw Star Wars in the theater, right? Yeah.
6: yeah. So you, you knew we were there. Not
0: the, the same thing. theater though.
6: Yeah. <laughs> I'd just like to point out that um, the two of us—what what did Tim call us? The up-and-coming outer, outer rim, yeah. up-and-coming. <laughs> <laughs> we're both wearing like Star Wars dresses and gear and leggings. Sure so up. I. I, yeah. I okay, fine. I, apparently, we need to. Are we going to show? No, you can come talk to us after and see them. I've always been a Star Wars fan for as long as I can remember. I did not see the first one in the theater because I wasn't born yet. Oh, shut up. <laughs> but I have loved Star Wars my whole life. And I really, really started loving Star Wars when I started reading certain people's books around the time I was 15. Um, so that's why I keep telling my husband, take pictures, take pictures, because this is a, like a, oh my gosh, dreams do come true moment right now for me. This is crazy.
7: You have very dull
2: dreams.
0: (laughs) She wasn't talking about your
5: books. (laughs) So how does writing Star Wars compare to playing in your own sandbox or in your own universe? Uh,
7: Different rules apply. I mean, you you have certain set characters, certain set technology, planets, etc. When you work with Star Wars or or Terminator, any other uh, franchise. Uh, The advantage is the audience is already familiar with a lot of the characters, so you don't have to spend a lot of time describing Han Solo or explaining some of his backstory, uh, as opposed to some movie franchises that seem to think you've got an origin story every time you reboot the character, but we won't go into that. Um, So there, there are pluses and minuses. I don't think I would want to do an entire career of tie-ins. I think I would probably burn out. But it's it's nice to do one every couple, three years or, or whatever, and especially something with star, like Star Wars, where it's always fun to come back to that universe.
1: And when you're a fan, and we were fans, when, when I got called, would do would I like to write some Star Wars novels? I mean, I was just doing handstands. This was really cool because then I got to go to work by watching... VHS copies of Star Wars over and over again and I could buy Boba Fett action figures and write them off as research for my taxes. Um, I'm not kidding. Um, uh, and that's, that's really cool and I've done a lot of media tie-in work for you know, X-Files and DC Comics and, and a lot of other movies and stuff. And as a fan, it's cool to do that stuff but the, the love or hate of it depends on how the licensors are sometimes they're really 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 anal retentive OCD very difficult to work with when we were doing the the stuff with Lucasfilm they were really pretty easy on us because they they of course we started out at the beginning so the stuff we were making up became the stuff other people had to follow but they were really very I mean there were times that Lucasfilm would call me up and say Kevin some writer wants to do this can you do that and it was pretty cool yeah, I think,
0: you know, part of the, when you're writing in your own universe, um, you get to make up everything. And, and that seems like it's a lot more free. But the fact is, is that whether you're writing in your own universe, whether you're writing historical novels, you're always dealing with some sort of a Bible. You're already always dealing with some sort of set group of facts. So writing in someone else's universe, I've never found uh, at all limiting. I think the the, the big difference in with yeah. Star Wars, uh, especially as a property, is, is not being quite aware of how much impact it has in the world. Literally, when I got, uh, I got the assignment to, to write the X-Wing books, and a week later I was in New Orleans at a trade show and I was having dinner in a tiny restaurant with a buddy of mine that I hadn't seen for a couple of years. And I just in the course of this conversation, I was telling him, oh yeah, I got offered these Star Wars novels and it's going to be a lot of fun and everything like that. As, as you, you know, just a conversation you have with you know, another writer friend and a, a couple got up from the next table because they were done their meal. So it's a tiny, small restaurant. He got up from the next table, and the man in the couple had asked the waitress for a slip of paper. And I had happened to see this because as a writer, you observe everything. And then he put it down in front of me and asked me for my autograph. He had no idea who I was. No names had been mentioned. Uh, but he just said, if you have something to do with Star Wars, I want your autograph. <laughs> and right there, it was, you know... I needed nothing else just to remind me the big dog in this relationship, you know, is Lucasfilm, and that's fine.
8: It's also really interesting in that uh, because there's so much history, um, it's almost like writing actual history where there are things you can get right or wrong, but there are stop gaps in place to make sure that you don't, because mm-hmm. uh, we know how exacting it is, but at the same time, um, maybe it's because I was in part of the first new canon and they weren't quite sure, but I got to make up some stuff that I never dreamed I'd get to make up, yep. And uh, it has a very momentous feel to it, where you're like, this is this is a thing, and it exists now. And you know, I'll go on the Wikipedia. I can't get into Wikipedia, but I can get in the Wikipedia, and I'll just go there and be like, okay, I'm real. I exist. I'm a real girl.
6: Yeah. So I um, that was pretty liberating when I had my first conversation with my editors, and and I asked them. I said, okay, so do I have to say things like transparency, you know, what words can I use, what can I not use, can I do, you know, and it was almost crippling in some ways, like, what kind of wood do I describe this desk? And they said, look, just just write it. There are no rules right now that you're in at the very beginning, you know, just, just write it. And so in comparison to writing your own stuff, one of the best analogies I can give people, because I, I do get asked this quite a bit, is um, at least particularly as, as a woman, hopefully men can get this analogy too, But um, I liken it to giving birth to a child that's your own child that you keep, that you raise, and that's yours, and that's writing your own work that's that's your kid. And for better or worse, even when you send it out into the world, that will always be your child. But when you are a, uh, oh my gosh, why is my brain freezing? (laughs) Not a foster mom. But when you are um, doing a surrogate mom thank you when you're a surrogate mom you still create that baby the dna may have gone from some come from somebody else may have come from other people but you still grew that baby that baby is still coming from you and then you give that baby away and it might be this beautiful baby but once you give it away to the parents it belongs to the parents so i wrote this story for star wars i gave it back to you know disney and lucasfilm and what they do with it and what happens to those characters is no longer i mean it's not mine but you still keep all those newspaper clippings
8: about all the amazing things oh, that yes. that baby is doing. You're, in the you're world. still like, I grew that baby. I grew that baby.
1: <laughs> yes, you're a real downer, aren't you?
8: <laughs> no, I just mean that's kind of how that's
6: kind of how I went into no, it. I, you know, I you had to go, I had to go into it like emotionally. I was invested, but only to a point because I knew at the end of this experience.
0: Well, and I, th- I think ultimately, though, especially if you're going to do a really good job when you're when you're doing tie-in work, and with Star Wars, it was easy because we were fans and we love this stuff that you do go in and you tell yourself okay you know I I know I'm giving it up and this is my emotional limitation but you're really lying to yourself (laughs) you know because it's always it's always going to be there it's always going to be part of you I was was commenting before this to someone uh, you know I have people come up to me and say hey you know I just I just read um, Rogue Squadron and I really really liked it and and for me that was 20 years ago but for them it was yesterday you know and and they're mentioning it and they're liking it just links emotionally right back into all of those emotions that have been sitting there for 20 years, yeah. you know, and, and, and that's a good thing. It's not a complaint, but but it's just, it's one of those things that even though you want to sever that that emotional attachment, wow, it's still going to be there. Yeah.
8: Well, you know, I had someone ask me um, if it was hard to write Han Solo because it's, he's kind of a big deal. We all know him. And you're like, it's almost like writing about my uncle that I've known my whole life. Like, of course I know what he's going to say because like. I've known him since I was born, so there's an interesting familiarity when it's in your blood, where you're like, it's it's just like listening to your uncle talk. Yay! Well,
1: but there's there's a perspective that I want to put into, the sort of a historical perspective, because when uh, Air was out, what, 91? Yeah. Okay, in the 90s and the 80s and even before that, there was all kinds of media tie-in fiction. There were, you know, the well, there were Star Trek books that was sort of the best of them, but there were a lot of... Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea novels and Planet of the Apes novels and things like that, Man from U.N.C.L.E. novels. And those were really considered, like, like make-work books for authors that, that they just sort of threw them a assignment. They were step up from writing porn. They really so what's wrong Mike's with writing porn? In the, in, the, in, the, in the pay hierarchy, yeah. that was be Mike, Mike's not, not kidding. And, uh, the the erotica authors, pays pretty good, you guys. Yeah, the we're, authors, we're talking
0: porn, not erotica. erotica right, right, Two entirely right. different Two things. things. Yeah. No,
1: no. The, the, authors, the authors who wrote those were often just tapped in. They, they weren't asked, do you love Planet of the Apes? Do you love Space 1999? Right. They just want you want to knock out this book. And I know a lot of those authors who wrote those books who have utter contempt for the... For the series that they never watched Battlestar Galactica they went oh geez and then they wrote the books and and it kind of shows and those books really got a bad reputation and and again Star Trek was a little bit different they were a little bit um, a lot of the people writing those were real Star Trek fans but when they decided to do Star Wars books and either inadvertently or or on purpose they asked super geeky fanboy to write the first one and and Tim like Wrote a real book. He, <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> I mean, uh, this—I I mean, he's sitting next to me, but I'm putting words in his mouth. He—he um, he wrote a book that was probably as good of a book as any other book he could write. It wasn't just—I'm knocking off a dumb Star Wars book. I, I mean, you wrote a real book, and that kind of set the bar for everybody, and now. That's really cool. And,
7: and it was yeah. deliberate. Uh, Lou Aronica, who had started this whole ball rolling in the first place, insisted it be a hardcover, insisted it be treated like something serious, not just a knockoff. Uh, I, and I found out later on, fortunately it was later on, not while I was writing it, that he'd actually put his job on the line. Yeah. You know, if, if this so is go, how it's going to be if or I'm quitting. I just um,
6: hmm? say, talk about pressure if you'd known. I'm glad you didn't exactly. find out until later. Yes,
7: Exactly. Um, and I think it was Ellen Datlow at uh, Science Fiction Book Club, actually. Ellen Asher. Uh, Ellen Asher, okay. Um, my, my editor told me that in a conversation that, that, that she had rather grudgingly said, well, this is real science fiction. So, yeah, I, mean, uh, I would never, I, the concept of just knocking off a book because it's it's for some money and I don't really care about it is just should be foreign to any writer. You should, if you can't really get enthusiastic about it, you shouldn't take the assignment in the first place.
5: So, what would each of you say was your biggest influence for writing Star Wars? Any previous story? <laughs> you mean, you mean aside from the movies? There, there are these movies.
7: There were these movies. Yeah. So we had the movies,
1: is what we had. So. Yeah, and the Boba Fett action.
8: Is that how you block out your scenes? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I yeah, yeah. And yeah, then yeah, yeah, yeah. the ship. <laughs> you, you,
2: you, it's how called do you do it? Plotting. Yeah, really. <laughs>
8: well, now you know my secret. <laughs> well, there you go. No, I have a, I have a, I have a wicket Hence and a the typer in and an R2D2, and they're yeah. all. Like, yeah.
0: you, you try and write X Wing battles if when you're not moving stuff through the air. Oh, like you're back. just
8: acting so, like a real pilot. Well, there you go. I'm a pilot. I'm imagining you with like two tennis balls being like, just imagine it, just imagine it.
6: No, you gotta use the hands.
0: Yeah, it's gotta be hands. Yeah. Hands are aerodynamic,
8: you know. But if they're ties, it could be a tennis ball.
0: Well, only if you put waffles on each side. <laughs>
8: <laughs> Who doesn't do that? <laughs> I just some people use that. Oh though. my god, you just invented in a waffles. dessert. Okay, yes, like you, you got a donut with two waffles on either side? Is this why just 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 use the hands. It's, it's what they it's what they eat in Corellia. Some authors
1: aren't willing to go the extra mile. Yeah. Extra parsec. No, extra.
8: Ooh.
5: I
1: fixed that.
5: (laughs) (laughs) So if you could write any story in the new canon, what would you write? That's not a fair
1: question. It's not a fair the one in which all of my stuff becomes canon.
7: I prefer the camel's nose under the tent approach. I'm doing Thrawn. We'll see what else I can get away with later. Well, uh, after I put
0: Mara in charge of Rogue Squadron, we'd bring all of them back.
8: (laughs) Sounds good. Yeah. I I want to do a whole Basine book, and I also feel like Sabine Wren could do some pretty awesome stuff.
6: Um, I really, really thought that Brand, my character from In Brief, could have had an entire novel. But the reality is I would love to do the novelization for Episode Eight. So if anybody knows anybody and wants to throw my name in the ring for that, I'd happy to do that. Or Rogue One. No, so Alexander Freed is actually doing a Rogue One novelization. He did the novelization uh, for Battlefront, uh, Twilight Company, and he did a really, really great job. Um, particularly since it was that nitty-gritty ground battle sort of thing. So just based on what I think we're seeing from Rogue One, he really is the, the right writer for that. He's, he's great for that.
1: Now, we got to make a point, though, because a novelization, what, what we're doing is actually our own original stories, that yep. we use the characters and the settings and we make our own stories. If you write a novelization, somebody gives you the script of The Phantom Menace, and then you have to fill it in and make it into a novel. You are tied into what happens in the movie. So you don't get to make up how you want the scene to go. You gotta write it the way it is in the movie. And like Terry Brooks added all kinds of extra things, and um, I'm assuming Bob Salvatore did, and and I forget who wrote the
6: Revenge of the
8: Sith. Matt Dober, oh, which okay. is
6: why I'd really like to do it because I've actually never done anything like that before. and I think it'd be a pretty cool learning experience. Plus, I'd get to see what happens before anyone else. I did
1: the novelist. Movie. Yes. I did the novelization to the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen movie, so you don't always want to do that.
8: And you were like, please make it good.
1: The previews looked really good.
5: So, Janine, how much do you think your military background influenced what you were able to write?
6: Oh, I mean, (laughs) I wrote in brief while I was preparing my own detachment of Marines to to deploy, forward deploy into a combat zone. So, I mean, obviously that it heavily influenced uh, a lot of just a lot of the story. And I, I think that, um, I don't know, I guess that's the answer. It heavily influenced it. I, I was going through it with my own Marines. It, uh, it, just the timing of it was all pretty serendipitous. It was kind of perfect.
5: So Delilah, um, what background information were you given before you were able to write your story? Well, I mean, as as we all
8: know, we sign an NDA that's actually longer than the book itself. <laughs> um, but but I can tell you that I was I was asking a lot of questions because you know we didn't we had no idea at this point in time what had been going on in the past thirty years, and they were like, you know, just Google the Force Awakens spoilers, and go by uh-huh. that. <laughs> so I was like, but I don't want spoilers. Oh, well, I, I didn't. I didn't hear what happened at the very end. Thank goodness. But no, I had a picture. I had a picture, and the picture of Bezine sitting on Grumgar's lap. You're like, oh, okay, I can, I can, I can do something with this.
5: So um, I think we are going to open up the floor for some audience questions. Make sure to please keep them brief. Uh, Mr. Riley Blanton will and be make here. Make
1: sure there's a question.
5: Yes. Make sure there's an actual question. We don't need story time. Please go ahead and line up here in the middle. We can uh, tell you about uh, the
6: line up right now.
5: And so for our panelists, while they're getting everything ready, um, what's your favorite Star Wars book that you've not written?
6: I'm not answering this question. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll be honest, and I, I don't. Um, I've got to say, and I love all of you, but um, Aaron's uh, X-Wing books by far absolutely hold my heart, the the raid Squadron books. so. Yeah. We have our first
5: question.
1: What's your name, man? Well. Wait, 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 wait. We're still... Nope, I skipped. Yeah,
6: me too. Yeah. Yeah. Pass. Yeah. You guys can all say my no, story. No, no. It's like, fine. Like
1: you guys all... Everybody writes too darn many books, so we can't keep up with them. So I write them. Yeah. All
5: right, then. Audience questions.
9: All
1: right, ready for our first question. This is from Addison.
9: Um, they kind of make the distinction between Star Trek and Star Wars as Star Wars being the lived-in universe, sort of the more grimy, the more sort of worn equipment and all that. So what
1: are your techniques for making your
9: novels and your writing
7: more lived in?
9: What what are how do you accomplish that?
6: All right. Well I'll go first on a shy. I think it's the little details. Um I only had basically three thousand words to work with to create an entire backstory and it had to be this whole military setting. And so just putting in the teeny tiny details, such as some of the little back and forth, the fun little jokes, um, little things to cue you into, the kind of where they were, smells, sounds, things like that, um, but something as benign as, hey, let's go play cards afterwards. So that's how I did it.
1: By uh, using lots of tired old cliches in the writing? That's a joke. Um, um I don't know, I mean because we we live Star Wars, we, we I mean, while writing these things I had the movies playing like an infinite loop on, on the TV and and you just it's it's in your head and the readers have it in their head and uh, the technology doesn't always work. Think people don't always know exactly where they're going. When Star Trek things usually work and and they're they're solving something in Star Star Wars, um, they are more we don't necessarily know the answer. Technology doesn't always work. And um, it's it's just a look and feel that you have in your head that you hope comes across in the prose.
7: I guess for me it's making it feel familiar to the characters in the book. Okay, nothing extraordinary here. Oh, you know, there's a, a Rodian or whatever. Yeah, we're not going to take particular notice of it. Uh, just what, what Kevin said, it kind of feel. Familiar to everybody, and so hopefully that comes across that the readers feel familiar with it too. Yeah, I think
0: one you engage
7: other senses. So when Janine talked about
0: you know smells and and those things, stuff that's slightly off, stuff you know there's rust, there's mildew, there's all these things that you would never see on on the Starship Enterprise that are just you know just parts of the right. There's you know there's a little dirt in the corner, um, you know these things make it lived in. Things are dented. That's another thing you never see on Star Trek. There's never a dent anywhere. Um, you know, so that, that's, that's what you want. Again, it makes it very, very real.
8: Well, there's a, a physical and emotional shorthand for the Star Wars world kind of where you, you know, eat, the planets have a different feel. The ships have a different feel. You know, the, the, the rebel versus the, the dark side ships have different feels. But um, uh, it almost feels like, um, you know, if you're writing about, say, like France, you think about, okay, you know, the Eiffel Tower and the stylish people and their scarves and croissants everywhere – if you're writing about, you know, Greece, there's there's the little white buildings and the blue water. But I think we have this internalized shorthand for Star Wars as well where uh, we can just say with a couple of words to draw the scene because you're so familiar with it. And so we can uh, get to add the little details around those and add the little Thomas Kincaid touches of gold that are our own on top of that shorthand that makes you feel at home and like you're in the world. I, th-
7: I think for me in the movies, even more than the what a piece of junk line, the <laughs> thing that made it more... D- just so much different than Star Trek, was he? No. This one goes there. That one goes there. <laughs> just That one felt just exactly the way it really works in the world. During the torch, we'll never say that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, our next
1: question is for Matthew. Yes.
7: Uh, Dawson and Spinlove. this is going to be a cautionary tale question for the two of you. Um, Timmy, thank you for uh, signing my book last year and giving me a glimpse into how you felt about Mara Jade being killed by another novelist. Uh, Stackpole and Anderson, I want to ask you, um, when you wrote the X-Men novels, did you ever have conversations with Aaron Austen on which characters he's allowed to kill? And for the rest of you, did anybody <laughs> else have a character that belonged to you that Super you created child. that was killed by another author, and how did it make you feel? Surrogate mother.
6: Yeah, I was going to say surrogate child. <laughs>
7: <laughs> it's
1: not our babies. And I just, for the record, I just want to make sure you all know that none of us up here killed Chewbacca. Right? Okay. <laughs>
8: Can I, can I just say, I was on a treadmill. I was on a treadmill at LA Fitness when I read that. I fell on the treadmill and zipped off onto the ground. <laughs> it was a bad day, y'all.
7: How, however, from the evidence so far, it looks like whoever threw the moon at Chewbacca missed.
8: <laughs> the phone were well, idiots, yeah. man.
0: Yeah. Um, no, there was never any conversation with, with Aaron about who he could kill or who couldn't. Because one, that was not our, our place to say. The uh, conversations that I had with Aaron were, and I'd known Aaron for a long, long time, uh, were just general. Look, this is the field that that this is the field that seems to appeal. These are the things that I've heard fans say. These, you know, this is the third rail stuff you don't want to be doing. You know, just general things. But I knew Aaron well enough, and I know all of these guys well enough that if they're going to go ahead and kill a character, it's not going to be a wasted death. There will be a purpose to it. It will it will have meaning. And, and that is that's the real thing. Is look, we invest a lot of emotion into these characters. Readers invest a lot of emotions into these characters. And if you don't respect that when you kill the characters or when you do something to the characters, people are not gonna like it. They're gonna like it if the character dies, but if the character dies well, at least they understand. And so to be true to the characters and true to the to the source material we're dealing with. That's what we have to do. And luckily enough, I think the right writers have been chosen who understand that and have the ability to do that.
9: All right, our next question is
0: from
1: Trey. Hi, guys. This is for uh, Mr. Anderson specifically, but I'd love to hear everyone's opinion on it. As authors who write in a universe established by someone else, do you feel that fan fiction plays a part or can play a part in Deciding what is canon in the universe, or is it more for just personal fan happiness? You, you mean, as if fans are writing their own fan fiction, can that pay, play a part in the the developing of a canon? Or uh, yes, basically, okay. if it gains traction or becomes accepted enough, do you feel like that's well, uh, fan could happen? We can't read fan fiction. I mean, we're we're not allowed to read fan fiction just because we don't want somebody saying you stole my idea. Um, I'm perfectly happy with fan fiction. I love it, I mean, I, I wrote fan fiction when I was in high school. Um, it's your way of expressing your love for the universe, but the people who, we were actually picked by Lucasfilm to do this stuff, so ours uh, was accepted into the, the canon temporarily. Um, <laughs> but fan fiction did not influence us well, me I don't I didn't read any of it I mean people would send me their fan fiction. In fact I had I had one person mail me their 500 page typewritten Star Wars novel and I wrote back with, with just a manuscript with no return envelope, no postage anything and I, I wrote I said you know I'm sorry we're not allowed to to read any fan fiction and there's no return envelope and I get hundreds of letters so it sort of went let's just say I was kind to the environment. And a month later, the fan wrote back and said, well, okay, could, could you mail it back to me? Because that's my only copy. Well, again, evolution in action, I guess. So, sorry.
6: So, I think you've seen it um, more recently in the last, uh, definitely the last decade, but, but for sure in the last five or six years, where fandom... Uh, and not maybe not necessarily in Star Wars, but we've seen it in kind of like the Teen Wolf fandom and a bunch of the other fandoms where you, you do have um, really big ships coming out and, and people who want to ship this couple or who want to see this happen or whatever. And some of the creators and content you know content producers, of particularly the TV shows and whatnot, they do interact with the fans and you do see it um, affect the TV show or, or how that's going. Me personally, I haven't really seen that Drive Star Wars, other than obviously I was a huge consumer of Star Wars fan fiction. Um, and I still write. I don't write Star Wars fan fiction. I still write fan fiction. I, I, I love to write in a Hobbit fan fiction. Not gonna, I'm going to throw that out there. I love Tolkien. Um, but I do. I love fan fiction in that I, I just love the creativity that you see out there and how people get an opportunity to, to share with other people. And it's free and it's fun. And you can just take all these really neat scenarios and what if scenarios and and i just think that it's awesome to see all the possibilities but so long as people understand there's a difference between fan fiction and canon
7: you know we got paid for it
6: yes basically i had to keep going i'm not writing fan fiction this is amazing all
1: right next
9: question is from jeff
1: uh my question is for mr anderson and pretty much the entire panel
0: since you guys are writing canon that's becoming established for the entire universe, how often do you lose things in the editorial process that you think would have been great for for this universe,
1: for this writing? Oh, well, I've got some great ones. But because they weren't accepted, they don't count. Right. And then I recycle them into my own fiction then. so
7: <laughs> Yeah, I can't think of anything. Yeah, generally, uh, the things we've disagreed on between Lucasfilm and me in, in the books... Um, Either they get their way, see, you know, big dog above. More often, or occasionally I'm able to get my way when I explain to them why it should work this way, more often we find a compromise position that will satisfy both of us. So when you do writing in somebody else's universe, you learn negotiation and diplomacy, or you don't write there very often, very much more.
1: Well, my the one that I really, really kills me that they didn't take is I I had written an entire origin for the Ewoks and the Ewoks are cute right they're they're kind of disgustingly they're fierce cute.
8: sir fierce, they're fierce yes.
1: <laughs> well let me explain so I said okay so there must be a reason why they're cute what if they were like genetically bred to be cute like like pet teddy bears or whatever from this race that was wealthy they're and whatever so they're they're Teddy bears are supposed to be cute, and they're aboard like this space yacht that crash lands on the moon of Endor. And the, all, all the people are killed, and the only thing that survives is a golden droid that helps these, these now feral Ewoks learn to survive on the forest moon. This is canon for me now. Which is why they have become feral, which is why they worship C-3PO and go, ooh, ah. That all makes sense.
8: So you're and saying Ewoks that. are the dwarf hamsters of yeah. the Star Wars world. And
1: I and I proposed that, and George Lucas do do? himself wrote, now they are. No, they the Ewoks are, are cute because they're cute.
2: <laughs>
7: I would love to hear how you recycle that into one of your books.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: working on it. Does I- it involve
0: sandworms? <laughs> <laughs>
2: so, Ewoks I- of Dune. Yes, there we go.
1: All right. Our next question is from Mike. Oh, I thought. Uh, my question is mostly I thought, for. I thought uh, I had answer.
8: Oh, oh yeah. I was just going to say I had kind of the opposite po- problem where when I was writing I was like, oh, I'm going to put in this planet and these people and I love, and they're like, not nah, just come up with something new, and I was like, you want me to come up with a planet? <laughs> You trust me? My parents don't trust me that much. <laughs> so I actually had to like come up with the new stuff instead of using, you know, our old favorites. So yeah. it was it was the opposite problem, but it was super fun. And I spent a lot of time like walking around my neighborhood going la just trying out weird words. Yeah,
6: I yeah I definitely had a few moments of don't ruin Star Wars, please don't ruin Star Wars, please don't ruin, you know. Um will have those. Yes, and like I had two little things that I don't want to say I kind of fought for, but when I got my edits that I. I, I went back with, okay, but I, I re- this is why, like Tim said, this is why I wanted to do this. And for one, they said, okay, that's fine. That makes sense. The other, they were like, nope, ax it. And I was like, you the boss. It's gone. So that's how it goes. And
7: batting 500 and something like that is really good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now we have our next question from Mike.
1: Uh, my question is largely for Timothy, um, yeah, but also for the rest of you as well. Um in interpreting this universe, we all have decades of knowledge now that you've helped to build, that we use when we watch this these shows, when we watch these movies, when we read these books. But now we all of a sudden have to almost forget those lessons of the
7: past. You know, in particular with Thrawn, we already have this character that we know that we love. And now you're building him again. How does that that blank wall come into, into place? With you're right. uh, Okay, first of all, I'm not rebuilding him. This, this book is set in a period I haven't written. So it's not overwriting anything else I've done. It's filling in some gap. Um, as far as forgetting what you've known, uh, we got a moment for me to give my legends uh, pitch here. The way I think about this is there was a flood in the Coruscant record office basement. And all these records got damaged we don't know if there was a talon card or a corn horn because it's soggy now uh think think of it as the legend of robin hood or king arthur and, and uh, camelot uh robin hood probably didn't exist certainly not in the form that kevin costner played him as
2: oh, thank god
7: Thank God. yeah um or even Car- uh, carrie elwes um
6: I appreciated
2: his.
7: so pleasure. he's a legend However, if tomorrow somebody in England finds a letter from Prince John to the Sheriff of Nottingham saying, "I have had it with this Robin Hood guy. I want his head on a spike by next candlemass, next to Friar Tuck's and Little John's," suddenly Robin Hood is no longer legend. He's part of history, and that is what they can do with all of our stuff. Okay, we found another record from that soggy uh, flood area. Cornhorn does exist. By golly, okay. And so suddenly he's part of history again. And this is, by doing it this way, they've allowed themselves to easily move things, characters, planets, events back from legends into real history. So you know, be of good cheer. Unless it's been specifically overwritten, you can still, it's kind of like Schrodinger's cat thing. It still can <laughs> kind be of thought of to In exist. The box. How many analogies can you come up with in one speech? Here we go.
6: <laughs>
1: Robin Hood and Schrodinger's Cat. That's the only time I've ever heard that in one conversation. And and
6: you I, heard it I will, here first. Yes. I, I do just have to just add to you, and I, I think hopefully everybody feels this way. You can never take away those books. I still go back and read them. The enjoyment of them, the stories are still there. They're not gone just because we have more canon now. They're They're still there they'll always be there and
1: also think about think about all the movies just just because they have now done man of steel does that mean that the christopher reeves superman movie doesn't exist no, no. i mean on all, all the different reboots of superhero movies that we've seen over and over again um that the latest incarnation of the amazing spider-man doesn't mean that the uh, the toby Maguire ones didn't exist i mean you have to as comic people you've gotten used to a million different earth ones and earth twos and different versions so we're just the the former EU, the now legends, is on Earth two instead of Earth One. It's you can still do more stories or still into it. Two. Coruscant two. <laughs> <Coruscant two. laughs> there you go.
8: Which one is the darkest timeline though? Hmm. <laughs> it's the one with Jar Jar. Some of you might yeah. like the Adam West
1: Batman series instead of the uh, never mind. Yeah. And for what it
7: was? And for what it was I it was, fun. It. It was, it was fun. It's fun. Super friends. Yeah, here
1: we go. Super <laughs> Friends in the Dark Knight don't really belong in the same universe.
2: <laughs> this is so true.
1: You're making my brain bleed.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, now we have a uh, question from Brett.
8: Uh, this is for uh, Tim, but uh, for the rest of you as well. Uh, you created, obviously, one of the most iconic villains in the Star Wars universe, Thorothrawn. Dalin Asard belonged up there as well. But he's a very different kind of villain than Darth Vader and Palpatine were from the books. What was your inspiration for creating, kind of, what were you pulling from to create this very unique character? And again, I think the question applies to the rest of you and your characters as well.
7: Well, for me, uh, I wanted to do a story that was Star Wars, but did not do the same story or the same material Lucas had already done. So no Vader type, no Palpatine type. It occurred to me as I was working on and thinking about this that... A, a more dangerous villain is someone who can lead by loyalty because his troops will fight for him even if he's not in the same room with them breathing over their neck. Um, so what makes what kind of commander makes a, for loyal troops? Strategically brilliant so they know we've got a good chance of winning. Uh, not driven by pride so they know that if he's losing, he'll pull back and, and won't waste lives. A bunch of other things like that. And uh, then finally, because the emperor doesn't seem to like aliens in positions of authority, make him an alien. So you know, if he got to be grand admiral, he must be something very special. And that's wrong Really, it sounds sounds very simple when you explain it. It
6: was you well maybe. done. <laughs> it was very well
9: done. Right. Do you, do you want to take and what's your name, man? My name is Mike. Um, I actually have a quick two-parter uh, first part real easy uh show of hands uh w- who of you can we expect to see a celebration in orlando next year probably me. just
6: just
2: <laughs>
9: well, i'm gonna the, be
6: the, on a cruise the the
7: the fact that Thrawn comes out two days before celebration probably means i'll be coming <laughs>
9: <laughs> and, and we'll um, be at Earth 2 at the, at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the, the next uh, follow-up um, for Kevin and for Mike, uh, I don't think it's been confirmed at all yet, and I don't know if you can confirm. Will you be coming back and writing new canon novels for us? And If anything, any little tidbits you can tell us?
1: Well, my phone's probably ringing right now, but I'm here at Dragon Con, so uh, that they can contact me if they'd like. Yeah, I mean, they know where we are. Look,
0: this is the, the situation. As far as I'm concerned, is this? Is I remember when I got called to work in Star Wars. I was thirty-something. I loved Star Wars, and it was a big thrill. And I enjoyed the hell out of out of doing the work that I did, the the comics and the novels and, and stuff like that. And now there's a whole new crop of thirty-something writers who are getting to have that same thrill. And so if I, I if I never get a phone call. If if work just keeps going to these guys and they can have the same feeling and the same same relationship with the property that I did, that's great. You know, if the phone rings or you know they call my agent, sure love to come back and do some other stuff. But but I
7: really I do not
0: begrudge these other guys at all their opportunities.
7: And as Janine as Janine said, it's always going to be ours in some level. It's owned by Lucasfilm, owned by Disney, but it's your X Wing, it's oh, your Rogue Squadron. Your Jedi Academy, and that never goes away.
1: Thank you all. Well, thanks, you and and I mean, I, I did fifty four projects for Lucasfilm, so I mean, I I was very thrilled with that, and it's been a while. But what they basically have done is, when Bantam turned it over to Del Rey, they got a different crop of writers, and now it's been turned over to Disney. and They have a different crop of writers. That's kind of to be expected. Um, I'm, did, I'm happy. Tim's, got those black pictures, Tim's the so black penny, back. a bad penny, that the keeps bad going. penny that keeps
7: going back. Yeah, but I never got to do a pop-up book. Yes. <laughs> with a music chip in it. That <laughs> you hadn't mentioned that part.
1: <sighs> Every little kid that played with it found hey, the music hey, chip Tim, again Tim. and again and
7: again and again.
0: Don't, don't go there.
1: <laughs> All right, our next class question I comes from Glenn. That, uh, yeah,
9: my question uh, is for uh, Delilah Yes, uh, because, uh, you know, you wrote your, your short story about uh, Basine, who is, uh, in my opinion, the second most important person at, at Mother's Castle because you know, so she reports on BB-8 on being there and she drives the whole rest of the movie. And yet, nothing, there's really no, like, nothing else about her. Like, like, totally dropped her character. Tops has done nothing.
8: You mean she's got the Boba Fett syndrome.
9: <laughs> no. No, no, the Boba, said she she'd have five different action figures out and whatever. She's been totally, you know, she's not on cards, she doesn't have, she's not on like any of the stops cards, she's not, except for the ones that they had her sign. She's the only one she's on. And she's not like in even a lot of like digital dictionaries and other like that, she's not there. That's the question.
8: Does that break my heart? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm waiting. I check Walmart every week. Yes. We we would love more
6: action figures with more ladies. We would like that a lot. That's another that's another even panel. Ray. Yeah, even Ray, even Ray. But that's that's a whole other panel that I think yeah, we're having Sunday. Oh, Sunday. Yes. Is it tomorrow?
9: Yeah. I'll yeah. lead it actually into a question, that would we'll
6: be. Yes. Tomorrow. Sorry. Would tomorrow you? at five thirty, we will be talking about stuff like that.
9: Okay. So so how much have you collect of the characters that you created? <laughs> I know I had Tim sign a. Marjade.
7: Um, I get every one I can find,
2: uh,
9: all the
7: various versions of Thrawn and Marjade. I've got the little Coruscant from uh, that I think it was Pizza Hut was giving out at uh, Phantom Menace. You open it up and it, it bobbles up and down. Uh, so yeah, I, I collect them. I they, they put them aside on the brag shelf to not do battles with them. They're too fragile. <laughs>
8: You know, I don't have any action figures or even a Lego figure, but um, there's some amazing fan art and some women cosplaying Bazine that are just lovely. So I really enjoy when folks tag me on Instagram or Twitter, and I can see that, like, even if she doesn't have her physical representation, like, people are working that.
0: I will say that was one of the cooler things about working in the universe. After I'd done a bunch of the comics for Dark Horse, and I'd actually stopped at that point, only this box from them appeared on my doorstep, and it was action figures. Uh, and it was because they had done you know, issues of comics backed by figures of a couple of characters that were in the comics, and they did I several guess. of those, and, and that was very cool. And that was you know that was just one of those unexpected perks because it's not you know when you're signing the contract it's not oh by the way there'll be action figures of your characters and suddenly that appears and that's just it's just a really cool thing. So I think I've got one of all of them. Um, I, I think I managed to get one of all of them. I
1: that what I did not get was Baron Fell's. Um, uh, Tie Fighter. Well, and that is one of the really cool. They did one uh, for my Jedi Search. I think they did for *Air of the Empire*, where right? they basically had a, a box that yeah. was the yeah, the, the, the mini, book, the and then they had micro machine like, little know, figures, figures in it, yeah. which I had to buy myself at Walmart because nobody told me that they made them. Yeah. Um, that was kind of fun. But I you also get a get a jazz the the surrogate mother kind of thing. They've used some of my stuff in the Clone Wars cartoons, and i I'm watching the Clone Wars cartoons and go holy crap, that's from my book. Well, it's from their book, but this was my my,
2: my, it was my idea. <laughs> my idea.
1: Um, I mean, that's that's kind of neat. And the, the the double lightsaber from Darth Maul, that was something that we developed in the Tales of the Jedi comics. So sitting in the theater watching the previews for Phantom Menace, and Darth Maul has a double lightsaber we go, dude, we did that in the comics. And okay, that's this
0: just is, really cool. This is the freakier thing. I'm still not used to it. When people come up and say, this is my son, Corin." Yep, yep, yep. Oh,
2: my gosh.
0: His surrogate son. (laughs) You know, as long as they don't tag me for his college tuition,
5: I'm good. So this is a good follow-up question, though. What's your favorite thing a fan has given you or your favorite fan interaction?
1: That one. I mean, I had the same thing where some guy came up to me and uh, he introduced me to his son, who was named after Kip Dura, and he wanted his picture taken with the kid, who was like ten years old. But the other one, I think, uh, was at one of the comic cons, where this this guy, maybe thirty four or something like that, comes up to me with an, with an utterly battered copy of Jedi Search, and he's got his ten year old son with him, and he said, "I want Mr. Anderson. I want you to sign this this book." that my dad gave me when I was 10 years old, I want you to sign it to my 10-year-old son so I can get him interested in reading the way my dad got me interested in reading.
7: That's
2: cool. Yeah.
7: Yeah, the, the, the uh, people named after your characters are great. The the old books being passed down. How many kids down. named Thrawn have you been introduced to?
6: <laughs> no, no. What's the full name? What's the full name? I, I've, got the old, but, uh, I've got
7: Jason's. I've got Jason's, Jaina's, and uh, a lot of Mara Jade's. But I think the, 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 the peak of it is someone who comes up to you and says, I hated reading till I read your books. Now I read all the time. Yes, we did it right.
0: This one actually happened at, at uh, DragonCon. Uh, I think it was about four years ago, five, four or five years ago now. Um, a young woman came up to Aaron and me at the same time on a, on a panel, and she gave us each... Uh, cloaks that she had made and decorated. And the one she gave me was uh, included the logo of the Pulsar skate. And what she had explained to us, because she was only a relatively young woman, um, she had been diagnosed with cancer. And during the treatment, this is when she was a teenager, and, and during the treatment she had been very depressed. And her doctors pulled her mother aside and said, you know, if her attitude does not get better, this is just not going to work. And so she said when she got home, her mother went to her room and pulled the X-Wing books off of the shelf and set them down in front of her and said, start reading. Uh, Because she had enjoyed those books before. And what she told us was that she started reading, and for the first time in months, she actually laughed. And she felt much better. And she, God bless her, credited Aaron and me getting her through that treatment. Um, you know, I mean, both Aaron and I discussed this afterwards, and we know far better it was the doctors and everybody else, but just to have been able to, and, 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 and I think ultimately this is the best thing a writer can do. We're, we're here to entertain. I mean, that is what you pay us to do, really, okay? You don't pay us to tell you how to make your life better or anything like that. We, we, you pay us to entertain. And if part of that entertainment is making you know a five-hour plane ride vanish, So you don't notice it or to make time easier when you're going through chemo or, or, you know, you, you've just broken up with someone and you, and you want a sanctuary. Holy crap. If we can do that, that's magic, you know? And, and so to be able to do that with her, that was just great.
8: God, it's you know my, my story hasn't even been out a year yet, and it's uh, it's going to be hopefully in print in the back of the Force Awakens in September in the paperback, so it's not as widely read, and I, I can't even approach that. So um, mine is much much more banal. But um, a guy broke up with me in high school, and he was a really big Star Wars fan, and and I have that kind of like I I still hold that against him for breaking up with me. And I'm just like I wrote canon, you son of a bitch. <laughs> there you go. So you know, there's helping people that are dying, and then there's revenge. <laughs> Um yeah so uh, this is all
6: very new to me I've I've had really fun fan interactions based on my original work um but this is all this story particularly being in print is very very recent um and for me it was the the first convention I went at where the story was out in paperback with, with the uh, trade paperback for Battlefront and I had people showing up with the copy of the book. Like, I don't know. It's just like they showing up with the copy of Star Wars and, and here, to me, for me to sign, and it was just, I don't know, just something as basic as me signing a Star Wars book. That's, to me, but that's real. Oh, my gosh, it's real. Get used to it. <laughs> yeah. So.
1: All right, now we have a question from Jay.
0: Um, my
1: question is for Mr. Zahn.
0: Basically, General Patton used history and literature to understand... How his enemies would behave. How you? What inspired you to use art for Thrawn?
7: I wish I remembered. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Make up Because
7: I get that question a lot. Um, it's just something that happened during the process of, um, of designing the story and designing the characters. I thought that would be something very cool. And I've had people suggest to me. I think somebody said, "Well." Uh, you, you do better to you know, learn the, the races, mythology, or they said legends, really. Um, the problem with legends or stories or anything else is it has to come through translation. And either Thrawn would have to know the language correctly to get all the nuances or trust the translator to get all the nuances. Art is there. He can see exactly what the, the, the piece was. So it made sense if he can see this. It was also sort of a, a flip side of the Jedi thing. It's not the Force, but like Jedi can use the Force, nobody else understands it. He's got this ability, and no one else really understands it, but it works for him. But it was just something that came along, oh, I guess that'd be cool. And uh, it took off from there. Yeah, thank
2: you.
1: Excellent. Here's our next question. And for our next few, uh, we have time for only a few more questions, so let's just cycle through as quick as we can. And, and your name, sir? Justin. Uh, for Mr. Anderson and I guess the rest of the panel as well. If you've read any of the new canon books,
7: which is your favorite of the new canon?
1: I honestly haven't. Sorry. I mean, I, I stopped reading before the the new Jedi Order because that's when I stopped writing for Lucasfilm, and that's a lot of work to keep up with it if you're not in, in the universe working on it. So, sorry.
8: Um, I got to read Bloodlines uh, before I wrote Scorched, and it was just... It was so lovely. And it was so hard to not be able to talk about it. <laughs> you just like, I'm doing this amazing thing, and I can't tell any of you, but it's amazing.
6: Yeah, I think this is this is a pretty unfair question. I, nothing really compares to Claudia Gray's uh, foray, what she did into... Uh, it's not Star by Star, but... Lost thank Stars. Thank you. Lost Stars. It's about two pilots. I mean... I, I was just like, this is why I lit and it's a romance and it's got two pilots. I'm, just push all my buttons. So, I mean, it was like tailor-made for me. So, yeah. go, Claudia, so Claudia Gray bloodlines and, you know, there
8: you go. So we're Claudia Gray fangirls. Basically. Yeah. She's pretty, she's pretty awesome. Yeah, she's pretty great.
9: All right, our next question is from Mara Jade, everybody. Yeah. Shara. <laughs>
6: Hi. Um, now that Thrawn has been brought into canon, do you think that Mara Jade will be brought in, and if so, how would you like to see her brought in?
0: Dad, I think that's for you.
7: (laughs) You want to take this one, Kevin? Uh, (laughs) I want her to look just like you. Yeah. How about that? (laughs) I have no idea if they have any plans to bring any of my other characters into canon. I would guess, and it's not been actually said this way, but I would guess that Thrawn is, to some extent, an experiment. If he's well-received by the Rebels audience, if the book sells very well, it will be possible. If, the, if both of those sink like stones, yeah, probably not. Uh, but, you know, this sounds very mercenary, but the, the better the sales of Thrawn and the better the reaction of, to the show, the more likely they will allow the camel's nose to get a little deeper into the tent. You're getting what he's saying, right?
2: Yes. Okay. <laughs>
6: <laughs> you know you can pre-order them i'm just saying N- not,
7: not not to be I'm mercenary gentle. but they make great fr- birthday presents <laughs> <laughs> for
6: yeah
2: for the whole
9: family
6: and review make sure you get on there and review too five stars five stars <laughs>
9: Thank all-, you. all right we got time for one
1: more question we got one from heather
8: hi um to so mystery and all of you i know at least me i've done a few more more than once stayed up for a midnight release of a book have any of you?
6: <laughs> I have dressed up in costume oh. and yeah. gone to midnight release. Come on.
0: Well, Tim and I haven't, but Kevin stayed up for the release of his.
1: Oh, so um, yeah. I've stayed up till midnight many times just to make sure the book got turned in on time. <laughs> no. By the time our books come, I mean, I'm speaking for a lot of us here, by the time our books come out, we've already written five more books, and it's like, I'm on this one now, and it comes out, oh yeah, that one's out this time, and, and it, it's... We've read them really and truly like nine or ten times before they come out. And we're thrilled and thrilled with it. But when people come up to us and say, in your new book, what, when on Chapter 12, when this happened, I go, my new book. Now, which one? She's like seven books earlier, right? And I'm trying to remember which ones they are, especially the Young Jedi Knights books that came out every three months. And so we were like writing four or five books ahead of the one that was coming out, and I didn't remember what was happening in which book.
7: And I don't think I've ever had a midnight release book. You know, everybody right. can <laughs> wait. Everybody can get a good night's sleep and get it in the morning if they want it.
2: <laughs> 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 What's your name? It's howling, it doesn't happen.
5: Yeah. All right. Well, let's give our amazing panelists a round of, the round of applause.
4: So, what was it like actually being? At that panel and hearing some of the things that they had to say, was it anything that was just like eye opening for you or just sort of the same kind of thing?
3: No, it was really exciting. I, I know we've heard some of these authors a number of times now. Uh, these guys that, uh, you know, like Kevin Anderson and Michael Stackpole and Zon, who have been doing these panels for a while, sometimes you feel like you've kind of heard everything they have to say. But I did find that this panel was, was unique. Uh, I think having Janine and Delilah there kind of mixed it up a little bit having kind of some new blood. Uh, so there was some funny interactions between the authors in that way. And I really liked kind of Zahn, his, his explanation as far as legends versus canon and the idea of the kind of like a, a library that got flooded. So some of the information is, you know, hard to tell. And, you know, it's it was a it was kind of an interesting, um, you know, visual that I'd never heard it explained that way before. So, I enjoyed that, but yeah, the they packed out the room that they were in, which was really cool to see that there's a lot of people that are still interested in you know Star Wars literature and the new stuff that's coming out, but also still you know enjoying the the legend stuff that's still being republished.
4: Awesome. Well, on our next show, we pushed this back so that we could release this panel audio for you. We will be reviewing Darth Vader, Volume 2, and Ray's story. So those are coming up very soon for you, and after that will be Bloodline. So in between now and then, you can interact with us on Twitter. We are at swbookworms, and you can send us an email to starwarsbookworms at gmail.com.
3: Yep, and we do have a few emails kind of in our backlog that we will be getting to probably next episode. So if you sent us an email and haven't heard it read on the show yet... Even though it's been a while, we will get to it. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Bookworms. You can leave us a review on iTunes if you haven't done that yet, if you enjoy our show and you'd like to leave us a review, head on over to iTunes and leave us a nice five-star review. You can find Teresa on Twitter and Instagram at penguin,
4: And you can find Aaron on Twitter and Instagram. He's at AVGoins. So until next time, keep on reading